So our scripture today is 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you'll uh, turn in your Bibles there so we can read God's word together. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 18 through 29. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. O Lord God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation of earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that you may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here, and it is a, uh, a privilege to be closing this building out. Okay, not really. Just for us, I guess, right? Um, you guys have turned your, turned your Bibles to 2 Samuel. We're continuing our series through the life of David, and uh, we don't believe in coincidence. We believe that God has planned us and planned to this moment to be in chapter 7 here in our Advent series. Uh, last week, Jared talked on uh, the Davidic covenant, which is uh, the promise that God had made with David that his lineage would be blessed forever. And we know because of Jared and because of Scripture and the gospel that that is because of Jesus. And so we continue. And so here in this Christmas season, we're going to uh, be caught up and, and caught up with the mess of Christmas. And let's be honest, Christmas can get a little, little crazy sometimes. Um, and so here at Mercy Hill, we celebrate Advent because what else is there to celebrate? Well, we are looking forward to Jesus' coming. We're looking forward to his birth. And so we will continue to do that uh, this morning and next week as we celebrate Jesus. All of us have experienced promises made. I, I, if I asked you to raise your hand, everyone in here would raise your hand. Whether it was dad promising you ice cream after the ball practice, or if you got good grades, you'd get 
blank or you making a promise to, to someone. We've all experienced this promise, promises made. I made a promise with my, with my son, LJ, and looking back, it probably is a good promise. Um, I think it's a good deal. Uh, he wants to fly in an airplane by the age 25. And so he said, will you make me a promise, Dad, that I can fly in an airplane by the time I turn 25? And I said, sure. I've got, 10, I got 15 years to go. I think I can make that happen. But here's the deal, though, is I'm not in charge of my circumstances in my life. So I could, uh, I may not be here in 15 years, or I may not be here tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow breath, right? We're not promised our next breath. Uh, I may be, have a severe accident and unable to fly. I, who knows what will happen? So I have no control of those circumstances. So when, when I make a promise, I have the full intention of making that promise and keeping it. But sometimes I can't keep it. And likewise, all of us in here have experienced broken promises because we don't have control or power over our circumstances at all. Um, Last week, Jared talked about the Davidic covenant and a promise or a contract between God and David. And what God had told David, if you look back at verse 12, here's kind of the, the, the main crux of the covenant. He said, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will, stab, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." Uh, and this is it's looking to Jesus, not David's son Solomon, uh, but, but to Jesus. And, and Jesus is the ultimate promise keeper, promise maker, um, so to speak. And so uh, this covenant has everything to do with who God is and that he has the ability to keep that covenant unlike you and I. So we've experienced broken promises, but, but God doesn't break promises. And so when he makes a promise... He has complete control of the circumstances, unlike you and I. So he can make things happen so that that promise is fulfilled. And secondly, and more importantly, when God makes a promise, it's who he is. It comes out of his character. It comes out of who, who God, uh, to the core of who he is. And, and, and he has to keep a promise because it is part of his character, and only God does what is good, right, and perfect every time. And so this promise, this covenant that God made with David is huge, and Jared touched on it last week. The implications of this promise changes the world forever. So think about this. The entire Old Testament, from Genesis to, to the final book before we get into the New Testament, the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Everything points to the greater king. Not David, but Jesus. When Jesus comes, as we've sung about, as we've celebrated, as we've acknowledged through Scripture, through the gospel presentation in our, uh, I like that word, what was the word you, you used this morning? Our, um, not our, ah, come on, huh? Our liturgy, but you, you described it as, um, come on. I put you on the uh, Anyway, I, I, I can't remember the name. But so the, the different, we'll call it seasons of our 
Yes, movements. That's a, that's a new word. We haven't used that before. So our movements in our service point to something, right? And likewise, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so when Jesus comes on the scene in his birth, it changes everything because he's here. And now it's about Jesus and the rest of Scripture and the rest of the life after Jesus' birth is all about him coming back and finally restoring everything to be made new. So this promise that God made with David changes the world. And and on this morning, David is beginning to see the magnitude of this promise. He's not getting all the details. He doesn't understand every in and out of it, but he understands how huge and great and powerful this promise is. And so they, this, the, our text this morning is the response that David has to starting to unpack this and seeing how important this promise is. It also will give us, as, as human beings, sons and daughters of David uh, and, and humans like David, it will give us a pattern of how we should respond to God's promises. So I need your help this morning really quick. Tell me, and you can just yell it out. Let's try to keep some order. Tell me some of God's promises. Name some of God's promises for me. He won't leave us and forsake us. He'll come back. He'll be with us. What else? He'll never flood the earth again. Amen. What else? What are some other promises of God? He will eventually restore all things and make them new. Salvation. We can be rescued. These are, these are huge things. Are there anything else that we missed? Or anything else that you feel you need to share? <laughs> He'll show us things we do not know. All wisdom comes from Him. That's good. So all these promises that God has made that we know because of His Scripture... How do we respond to those? How does that affect us? Like I could really stop preaching now and say, guys, let's celebrate what God has done and is doing. So how, how do we respond to, to a promise that God has made? And, and David gives us a pattern that we can, we can practice as followers of Jesus. In this season where, where we celebrate God's coming or God's incarnation through Jesus here on earth, through a baby, in this season that we get caught up in the hustle and bustle, we get caught up in the craziness of Christmas, in this season is a perfect time to remember God's promise. It is a perfect time to remember and to respond the way that, that David does and the way that we are laid out to do as human beings. So our big idea this morning... And this is going to be a 10,000 foot view is that Jesus is the source of our praise and the subject of our prayers. Jesus is the source of our praise and the subject of our prayers. And what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of start us at 10,000 feet and then we're going to fly down to about 50 feet and we're going to scrape across the trees for a while and then we'll come back up to 10,000. So hopefully... When I'm done, the big idea will be clear 
and that we'll, we'll understand that Jesus is the source of our praise, which our entire service and our entire life is, and that he is also the subject of our prayers. Now, because God's promises are different, because they don't, they don't fit inside of our, bo- our box of understanding, because they're different, but because they're better and they're perfect, they have an impact on us. They change us. It has an impact on, on everything we say and do and how we live. Or at least, let us be honest, it should. A promise of God is a big deal. And this big deal, this promise that David is finally getting a little taste of and understanding is even bigger than we know and understand. So David, in verse 17, he just gets done hearing this promise. That Nathan lays out for him the promise of the covenant, the the Davidic covenant. And what does David do? Immediately, it says in verse 18... Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind. Immediately, David goes into God's presence. We don't know exactly what that means or looks like, and he sits down with God. He sits down with God. So God's, the first, we got three points this morning. We got the first point this morning for you guys is God's promise brings presence. God's promise brings presence. David sat down before God. Now, when you look at that and when you read it, you, a lot of times, because it's so quick, you just kind of pass over and glance over it. But this is a huge thing. This is, this is like um, if you have kids or, you, or your kids are grown and you remember when they're, they're younger, there's these moments where, uh, where they just come into the room where you are and they just sit down with you. And as a dad who, who kind of counts the, the minutes and, and what's going on and, and, and efficiency is really important to him, it drives me bananas because I'm like, what are you doing? What do you need? Like, let's, let's get this on. But all they want is to come in and sit down and be with you. They want to sit down and, and just be in your presence. And this is what David does. David is hearing this huge thing, and he's starting to understand that, that through his lineage and through his, his, his ancestors and through his children, that the entire world is going to be changed. The entire world is going to be saved or rescued or, the, or forgiven because of God and the promise that he has made with him. And what does David do? He sits before God. He just sits in his presence. This isn't uh, disrespectful. This, isn't, this, is, this is David wanting to be with God on an intimate level. It, it's gigantic, this, this response that he has. And there's nothing, nothing like it. This, this covenant, there's nothing like this covenant. And there's really, like, what David does doesn't really make sense. Like, if I'm thinking if God does something huge, and I'm David, and I understand, I want to, like, I don't know, bake a pie and be like all these things and bring these sacrifices and be like, you're so good, God, you're so good. And David says, I'm going to sit before God and be with him. 
How many times do we get moved and we, and we hear a promise or reminded of a promise where we just sit with our Father, where we just sit with Him and be with Him? This presence that David experiences with God, he sits there and he remembers what God has done. He remembers He says, oh Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? We've just read through 10 years of David's story. About 10 years of of being chased, of trying to be killed, of trying to be, uh, of of being without food, of being starving, of being shipwrecked, of being all these things of David's story, all these bad things that he's experienced. And he says, and you've brought me out of all this. And you've done all this. But then he says, What's the next thing he says? And yet this was a small thing. Compared to what you're doing through my lineage, compared to what you're going to do through, the, through my children, through Jesus as we know sitting here this morning, those things, those rescues, those salvations, those moments of goodness that you have done in my life is a small thing compared to this. David is remembering what God has done. Personally, he's remembering what he's done. And more importantly, he's, 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 he's in awe and, and worship and praise of God. For us this morning, I wonder how many of us go before God and just sit there with him and sit in his presence, right, when we remember what he's done. You think back 365 days ago, where were you? What has God done in the last 365 days in your life? What has he done in the life of Mercy Hill Church? What are the things that God has has rescued you from, taken you out of, or brought you through to grow you? What are those things that have moved you to, to worship him even more? This is what David is doing. He is remembering the good work that God has done in his life. And you and I can now not just think about what he's done, but we can think about what he's doing. We can think about Jesus and how Jesus is our everything as we just sang about. That Jesus is enough here on earth. That he has come to earth and that he is to come. Last thing I want to point out in this, in this point here is, is notice David's humility. It says, And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction of, for mankind, O Lord God. The beginning of verse 18, he says, Who am I? His Status, his stature in this of sitting with him and sitting with his father is complete and total humility. There is not any pride. Everything he has and everything that he's experienced, he has acknowledged and pointed to Jesus or pointed to God that he has provided. There's humility in David's stature here this morning as we read in the scriptures. And he's starting to understand this impact of this covenant because we read at the end of verse 19 it says you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come and this is instruction for mankind O Lord God now the translation kind of 
hurts it a little bit because it's not like a, uh, an instruction book of how we should live. This is not how we should perform. What it's saying is this effect affects all human beings. It affects all humankind. So this covenant that David, that God has made with David, impacts just the human race. And so David is starting to see, my goodness, this, this is huge. This is gigantic. And he's speechless, as we see in verse 20. And what more can David say to you? What more can David say to you? There's nothing else I can say, God. How great are you? He's brought to, to, to sitting before God and sitting in his presence, and he's brought to being speechless and having nothing to say. Grasping this promise. Well, secondly, God's presence brings praise. So, or God's promise brings praise. So God's promise brings presence, and God's promise brings praise. God's promise, uh, and the way we, we, we learn here in the next few verses, is David is, is moved from, from awe and wonder and this, this, this hugeness of what God is doing to praise, to celebration, to glorifying God in, 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 in his words. David is, is going from speechless, what else is there to say, to outright worship, to outright glorifying God. Look at these things that, that, that David says. This greatness in verse 20, 21. You are great in verse 22. There is none like you, verse 22. There is no other God. All of this. He points to who? He points to God and what he's done. David understands that everything he has is, 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 is nothing of his merit, nothing of his skill, nothing of his abilities, but all what God has done in him and through him. That everything he has, the big and the little, the kingdom that he's now a king over, is because of God. The gifts that David has, the ability to, 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 to survive in battle, the ability to wipe out people in battle, to lead people, all the gifts that David has are all because of God. And, da and David understands that because he says, you are great, none like you, no other God. David is moved to worship. When we hear the promises of God and when we think of the promises of God and when we remember what God has done in our life, are we moved to praise? Or are we moved to nothing, to apathy, to contentment, to very little heartbeat? <laughs> or are we moved to, to wonder because I think a lot of us, and even in this time of Christmas, we're so bombarded with craziness in Christmas. Whether it's our schedules or what we have to do or, or whatever it is, we, we lose sight of Jesus. And we lose sight of what God is doing and has done in our life. And so I, 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 know, I know because that's in my life. I lose the wonder of Jesus. I lose the wonder of, of God's work in 
my life. Verse 23 and 24 talks about Israel. It talks about God's people. And we're going to read it real quick. It says, And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for, your, for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. It's easy to read that and go, oh, well, the people are really important here. But if you pay attention to the pronouns, God is the subject, not the people. David is reminding God of all the things that he has done through his people. That God is the hero. That God is is the main subject, the main character of this story, not David. That God has done a great thing. And so David is moved to worship. He is moved to praise as he's grasping the magnitude of this promise. And he's remembering all that God has done. The last last point this morning is that God's promise brings prayer. I know this is a very simple idea. But listen, what David does in verses 25, 25 through 28 is that he prays God's words back to him. This isn't a simple like, okay, God, now I really need to pay my rent or I really need to, to have this. This is, God, you have said this, therefore you need to do this. God, you have said this, therefore I plead with you to do it. It's a great example for you and I. It's a great example for us to live out this prayer. How many times when we pray are our prayers centered on God? The other side of that coin is how many times when we pray are our prayers centered on us? And that's what David has done here is his prayers are completely centered on God. Look at it. Verse 25. And now, O Lord... Confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servants, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. What David is saying is, God, you've said these things. These things you have said right here. <laughs> you've said them. Now, you, now back them up, please. He's not making a new list. He's not saying, I want these and then these things here. What he's saying is, God, you have done this. So when we proclaim God's promises, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, when we feel like he's left us, we remember this promise and we pray this promise to God. 
When, God, when, when we're reminded then we're, the, the promise that God will give us the wisdom we need and teach us new things, when we're in that moment where we need it, where we remind God that he is the author of all wisdom. That's a different prayer practice than what we're used to. Because we're used to God as, as our Santa Claus. We're used to God as, here are the things I need, God. Here are the things I want. And if you could do some of those, that would be great. But that's not, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not our God. That's not the God who, who rescues his people. That's not the God who sends Jesus to earth. To, to, to send Jesus as a baby on Christmas or at Christmas time. That isn't the God we worship. The God we worship is all about his glory. And he's all about his kingdom. And our prayers should be shaped by God's word. Not, not shaped by, by what we want. It's, it's, it's how we can read 1 John 5.14 that says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The only way we understand what God's will is, is by knowing his word. And what David pre uh, pr uh, prays is God's word. He prays God's will. You said you would do these things. You said you would do this. God, do it. And he's content with that. I wonder, for us, how many of us can put that into practice this week? How many of us need to put that into practice this morning? How many of us need to remind God of his promises and not Remind him of what we want or what we think we need. An old Puritan guy named um, William Gurnall said that prayer is nothing but the promise reversed. Or God's word turned inside out and formed into an argument and retorted back again upon God by faith. How many of us take God's word, really like take it, eat on it, meditate on it, learn it, and are able to pray it back to God and argue with God? Now the easy thing is for me to say, this is what we need to do better. We just need to do better. And that's just, that's, that's just another law. Because we can't do better. The gospel tells us we can't do better. The gospel tells us that Jesus has done best so that we can be good. We're only good because of Jesus. Nothing in us can be better apart from Jesus. So this, in this season of Advent, that as we, as we get ready for Christmas, as we get ready for the coming of Jesus, it is that promise that we have in Jesus where we can experience his presence. It is that promise in Jesus that, that we can experience him and we can sit with him and just be with him because of Jesus. In this season of Advent where we're looking forward to Jesus' coming and, and then his coming again where, as Jessica said earlier, we're, 
complete and total restoration happens when Jesus comes back. That this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. That this world is broken, but God is at work, even now. And when Jesus returns, it will be made whole again and made right. We can think of that promise and celebrate that promise even in this time of chaos and busyness and be led to to praise. It is in this time where, where we can be reminded of God's promises, reminded of what he's done, and we can pray because of Jesus. Because Jesus is our everything. I was reminded this week of the story of, and I don't remember who it is, but the story of an explorer who landed on this new, new land and all the guys get out of the ships and they're all getting ready and he's like, guys, look at this. This is incredible. And I'm making some of the, you know, I don't know exactly what he said, so don't hold me to it, teachers in here. Look at this. We can go and we can explore all of this. We can climb the mountains and we can walk through the rivers and all of this. As he's telling them this, the guys look back and the ships are on fire. They've burned, he's burned the ships. Why did he burn his ships? Because he didn't want them to go back to the comfort and the complacency of being on that ship or being in what they knew. He wanted them to explore this new world, to explore the mountains and the rivers. I think a lot of us are content to sit on a, on a, on a disgusting, rat-filled ship and be complacent in our life and not think about what God has done and not really celebrate and, and sit with Him on the promises that He has made. We're just content to sit back here. Burn the ships. <laughs> Burn the ships this morning. Look forward to what Jesus is doing. Look forward to what he's going to do. Look forward to him this this season. Not in a superficial, let's sing songs together, but in a real, let's sit with God. Because David, this morning, as he's experiencing God and he's learning the magnitude and the weight of this promise, he sits with him and he experiences God on an intimate level. He praises him. With, with song and truth and pro- proclamation of how great he is. And he prays to him his scriptures. He prays to him his words. And God hears him. This morning, the challenge for us is to not be complacent in this time. challenge for us is to experience God on a new level, experience God in a way we haven't experienced Him before. As David experienced God, and as David sat with Him. Let us burn the ships, Mercy Hill. Let's put that stuff behind us and move forward to the promises that God has for us. The promises that we know. The promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. And the promises that He's going to fulfill In the end, let me pray for us.